for UNLV Athletics is right here on ESPN Las Vegas, 1100 AM and 100.9 FM, KWWN Las Vegas. Like all of you, I'm proud to call Las Vegas home. I met my wife here, my kids were born here, and I know how special this city is. To all the brave first responders that have worked timelessly and courageously throughout this whole tragedy, we thank you. To the families and friends of the victims, know that we'll do everything we can to help you and our city heal. We are Vegas strong. From the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside the Treasure Island Hotel and Casino, it's Throw the Flag. Oh, I just make sure that I have three different sets. I have to have the yellow gold, I got the white gold, I got the sterling silver. With your hosts, Gooch. Why do I feel like in your closet there's like a candlestick that you pull and then a whole revolving door turns around and you just have like suits and amazing jewelry. And Willie Ramirez. The only thing that revolves in my closet is the tie rack. I hit the button and it just shifts around and there's like 35, 40 ties and comes as I can think. And then there's just one whole rack of suits. On ESPN Las Vegas. You look at me and Mateo and we're like, what's a spinning tie rack? We have one tie that we wear to weddings, job interviews, and funerals. Let it bounce. Pour some out for Coolio. Once again, guys, it is throw the flag back again from the Golden Circle Race and Sportsbook inside the Treasure Island. Free parking, great place to park, take the tram over to the Raider game. So many things to get to, but first, we just heard the Derek England speech that he gave following the October 1st tragedy and it still hits, doesn't it, Willie? Gooch, Willie Ramirez, by the way, I forgot to say who the, the host of the shows were. Gooch, Willie Ramirez. Uh, it's a very emotional day on October 1st, especially for Las Vegas. Yeah, and I don't think that it'll ever go away um, for many people. You know, I could sit there and say how, how it affected me, but it'll, it'll, I'll never know what it felt like, you know, for those people who were running for their lives. Um, you know, and I was getting text messages from people that were hiding in the Tropicana. I was getting text messages from kids that were still in high school that are now in college that knew me, right, called me Pops. And it was like, you know, they were waiting on someone. I know there, there's, a, there's a major league, we're going to be talking about this throughout the show, major league baseball player right now who played hero to some kids that are like, they were, they, they were like younger siblings to him. And he, he drove into the line of fire, to, you know, drove over to pick them up. Um, so many stories. I mean, I remember hearing about it. It was after, right after a Golden Knights uh, preseason game. They had played the Sharks. Ironically, last night they played the Sharks. Um, so, yeah, it was, you know, it, 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 it's such an emotional, traumatic experience. And um, it's one of those things that, you know, it, it was riveting throughout the country. But here in Las Vegas, it's, it's going to reverberate for a lifetime. And um, it's something where, you know, you have to sit back and, not only take a moment to 
respect those who were affected. But you know what? Take a moment to appreciate your loved ones, your friends, whomever it is that you call close to you because on any given moment in a tragedy like that, nobody is safe. It's one of those I remember exactly where I was moments when I got the text messages. I was actually in Anaheim. I was getting ready to go to Disneyland the very next day. And I'm at, and the night before we were at Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles. So, I mean, I just remember me and my, uh, my woman at the time, we were just staring in disbelief at our phones, not speaking, just wondering, to, obviously a fury of text messages, texting everybody that we knew that could possibly be at that show. And uh, it's just something that will always affect us. And it's just something that I also want us to never forget. I also want us to grow from. And it's one of those things where tragedy does show. Beauty did come from tragedy after this, just watching the city pull together and really have each other's backs. There was beauty that did come from it. But, again, one of those situations where we will never forget where we were when we heard that news. Right. And, and when you, you know, and people are going to hear that and go, what? What could possibly come from that? Well, you know, Jonathan Marcha saw the other day in the Golden Knights locker room try to summarize that. And it was so hard to I, – I, I went there – to the morning skate um, yesterday just to get some sound for our show, uh, which we'll play later on. Um, Marchessault was so flustered in how to word it properly, but basically what he was saying is, you know, it's a tra- it was a tragedy that it, it took this to bring the city together and, and that that's what sort of brought thrust the Golden Knights into the spotlight. You heard Derek England's speech. They go on this miraculous run. They're undefeated at home for X amount of time, and then all of a sudden – they're on this a crazy run fueled by the phrase Vegas strong, right? And you hear the hashtag Vegas born, the hashtag Vegas strong. And the people, as I said, that were affected that, you know, it was, it was the, the city in itself was affected. But those that were affected that were either at the concert or lost loved ones or had people there and then felt as if they survived it. So they felt going to a Golden Knights game for the two and a half hours, it completely just erased that moment in time they're you know a tragic memory for them um the one thing that i i, I have a problem you know it's called throw the flag and i, and I don't want to start being snarky because we throw the flag in segments the one thing i've had a trouble with gooch all week in in preparing for this or talking to people about it is i'm never going to use the a word everyone's saying it's the five year it's not yeah. it's not because if you look up the definition it's you know that's somewhat of a celebration of a you know, of something. It's your it's your 10-year anniversary for working. It's your 10-year anniversary for a wedding. This is not a five-year A word for a tragedy. It's 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 not. I get it that that's the word that's being used because it mark. But it's a five-year mark. It's 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 a five. It's the fifth year since then. I'm not, I I will never use that word in relation to that tragedy. And here we are, five years. <laughs> since it's happened and people are still healing from it yeah and i'm not even talking about uh, the, the the real victims and the families of the victims i'm just talking about people that just are afraid to even leave their house sometimes i mean it's like when something like this happens you know just watching how people react to it differently can play games on all of us but again what the golden knights did when that happened when that tragedy happened and just how the whole city rallied around them that really does show you the beauty of sports it does show you the beauty of community and whenever i do think back on the tragedy i 
you can't help but think of the negative first, obviously, but I really do take a lot of pride in this city because when you think about Las Vegas, we're not like this small town, hey, Jim, how you doing? Like, everybody kind of just sticks to themselves. So when something like this brought us all together, I don't think I was ever a part of that in this city. And it's something I will always be very proud, proud of. Just being a Las Vegan when this happened. As you should be. And, you know, it's funny because I, I had put a post on one of my social media sites and then screenshot it and sent it all over, sent it everywhere. Because if I'm not mistaken, that was the same, that was shortly before that, in September at some point, um, there was a Miami based team that was here in Las Vegas, I think to play Gorman. And there might have been a hurricane. Coincidentally, there was just a hurricane right um, there last week. But there was something, and they couldn't get home. I know they couldn't get home, and they were staying at one of the small, like, like town place or, you know, a, a fair, fair field or something like that. Anyway, here they were. They brought just enough clothes for, like, the overnight trip, their uniform, and then another change of clothes. And um, the city rallied around. Like, there were different restaurants. There was a barbecue joint up on, on uh, right down from Lotus. On, on Durango and uh, off Flamingo, there were uh, pizza place. There was um, pe- uh, uh, people, uh, p- just parents of the team that they played. I want to say Gorman that did their laundry. And then and then you see what took place on October one. And I remember putting it out there that hey, you know, when people say, oh, what do you live near the casino? What do you live in a casino? What what's there to do in Vegas? Why would you live there? Don't forget what that hashtag Vegas strong means in terms of like, this is a community that when all the chips are low and when it comes down to it, that we can rally around the best of it, you know, like with the best of them and, and come together and, and it brings out, it sucks that tragedy has to bring the best out in people because we walk in a normal day life where mental health is a major catastrophe. Um, suicide, we, we just finished suicide prevention month. And we walk around daily amongst just cruel and evil people that are just, you know, that just take the time to do nothing but belittle. And you never know what someone's going through. You know, you just you're snarky or you're or you're rude or you're just to, to the wrong person, and that would send them over the edge. But yet, when a tragedy set, sets forth, you just, something happens, like a group of high school football players that are stranded in Las Vegas and it takes the opposing team's parents to do their laundry or restaurants to feed them for free or the largest United, uh, mass shooting in the United States history and, and, and the community comes together to rally around that and be there for people. Um, it sucks that tragedy brings people to, brings the best out of people, but if that's what it takes, then, you know, remind yourselves, that's why I say always remember, remind yourselves of those dark moments to bring the best out of yourself and take the time once a day, man. I, I share text messages like random every two, three weeks. Just I, And I find people in my contact list that I haven't talked to in weeks or months. Be like, hey, you know what? I was scrolling through, had a sign. I'm sending you a text message checking on you. Just, just want to let you know I was thinking about you. I mean, to hear those words, hey, I was just thinking about you, sometimes makes a world of difference. And sometimes it takes the five-year mark of a tragedy like today to remind us how appreciative we should be. And this is a city that is unlike any other. I don't think there's a more transient city than Las Vegas. I mean, there's very few. Like, Willie Ramirez is a unicorn. Very few people, like, were raised here and watched all the chaos and, and watched all the, how this city has been built. Very few people have been around and, and actually lived here for the, the entire duration. So 
you have a lot of people coming in from different towns. They weren't necessarily raised here, but watching all these strangers yeah. come together again. Never forget that, you guys. That is the, that is, that is, you were talking about, you know, you see so many ugly people, and that's online. Those yeah. are just people that are trying to get attention, and those people, don't ever forget that those people, what they're going through in right. their lives, even as they right. might be the biggest douches on the planet, but they might also be going through something terrible as well. And again, in the face of true adversity, the human spirit takes over. Kindness will always prevail. It will always prevail. And that's the one thing that that lesson definitely taught us. Jumping ship, just want to give a big pat on the back to another Las Vegas team, UNLV Rebels. I mean, my God, 4-1 and one for the first time since 2003. Uh, again, that's something else, just watching that. That's going to bring the city together. That's going to let everybody know, hey, go Rebels, right? We didn't have that up until recently. So just watching, watching what the Raiders, even the Raiders are having a losing season, it doesn't matter. It's bringing people together, and that is the power of sports, and that is the power of community. That is the power of throw the flag. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, and I was at the game last night, and you're watching it, and they fall 17, and they're, they're down 17 nothing. And here's the difference that I noticed in years past with UNLV football and, and now is, like, there wasn't one person in the press box. Like, every time I looked at someone, you know, I looked at like Mike Grimala from the Las Vegas Sun, uh, Paul Gutierrez from ESPN, um, just different people that were there. I was like, this is like nothing, right? Jesse Merrick from Channel 3, Paloma Villacana from Channel 5. It was like, they're going to come back. One person was like, they're going to come back and cover this number. Like, the mindset from years past where they would be down 17 nothing, like, well, same old UNLV. Right. Last night it was like, man, I can't wait to see the second half. It's not just the players that have to have that attitude. The fans also, they right. affect that. Right, and they were exuberant last night. They hung in, they stayed there. I mean, there were probably people that would have bailed in years past, but no, it ended up being a good game. They come right back, they tie the score, and then all of a sudden they run away, you know, not run away with it, but they were right there with it, and then, they, and then the pick six, at the end of the game to help push the total over. New Mexico gets the cover. Um, there were some Sharps that um, were on New Mexico, plus the 16, um, drove it down. I think they were. Four, I think the game went off at 14, total 44, 44 and a half. So it ended up going over the posted total with, um, was it Cam Oliver, I think, with the, with the pick six at the end um, with like a minute left, and, it, and the total goes over. Um, on the flip side of it, which we're going to touch on a little bit before we go out here for our first break, Raiders 0-3. The Broncos are in town. The rival, I'm assuming that they're going to be flying in today. We gotta, we, we're going to be talking about that at the top of the 10 o'clock hour. Arnie Stapleton, AP sports writer out of Denver, is going to be talking Broncos with us as we preview. But when we come back, Gooch has a major major flag to throw. It's Willie, it's Gooch. We're at Treasure Island Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. ESPN, throw the flag. To a rolling left with the grain, and down he goes. Slung down in his own 48-yard line. Josh Tupu. And, uh-oh. Now, back to throw the flag. Oh, you can't even sing. You have to sing something. Come on, ODB. Ooh, baby, I like it, boy. You know it. Yeah, baby, I like it, boy. Throw yeah, the flag. Like Golden it, Circle Sportsbook yeah, live baby, from the Treasure like Island. Gooch, Willie Ramirez. Oh, 
And let me just tell you about the Golden Circle. The, the food specials, there's just college football everywhere you look. Come check this out. Soak in the vibe. Now it's my favorite segment. I, not only do I get to pick what song we play going into the segment, but it's the segment named after the name of the show, Throw the Flag. There's a lot of issues. There's a lot of things we got to throw the flag at. I'm going to throw the most obvious flag here. We just played a clip from the game that happened on Thursday. We got to throw the flag at the Miami Dolphins and the NFL in general for allowing Tua to get back in the game against, not get back in the game, but to play against the Bengals four days after hitting his head on the field and then stumbling to the huddle. I mean, look, I'm not a doctor, but I just found it crazy to hear the experts in the medical field said he was good to go on a short week. I, I would even have a problem with him going seven days after that injury but four days after it just it just doesn't even sound right it just said from a pr perspective it doesn't even sound right and thankfully tua was released from the hospital the very next morning but and he's already tweeting out there he's already saying he's feeling much better but there's some experts that are already saying he should have played for the rest of the season and maybe even his career and that, and that injury was just so jarring. It, it certainly does not appear like the NFL and the Dolphins did their due diligence. And it's up there with the Theisman broken leg. You know, that injury, that, that picture, that mental picture, it's up there with high, you know, Joe Theisman's broken leg, the Willis McGahee injury at the national championship game, Ohio State, Miami. And the image of Tua's hand will haunt us for years. So I want to throw the flag at the Miami Dolphins and the NFL just for not having eyes in their head. How do you not look at that and just automatically have a bad sense in your stomach? Yeah, it's, uh, it, was, it was certainly a bad situation. The Dolphins are going to ride their, uh, they're gonna ride their, uh, their claim that he was cleared. Concussion protocol was cleared. Um, so that's why, you know, you mentioned the short week. It made no sense to me. I mean, it was clear as day when you're watching last week what took place and he's stumbling around. It was 100% clear as day that there were more than a back injury. I mean, and here's the thing. Let's just say that he was cleared and it was a concussion, okay? Let's say that it was a back or neck, whatever, that's causing him to wobble. Sometimes those are things like when you get in a car accident and, and you get the whiplash or you get a week later is when you feel a lot of the after effects. What happens is in a traumatic situation is your muscles immediately tense up. They're made to sort of tense and brace and protect the spine or the body and the, and the bones. Your muscles automatically go into protection mode. So, so they tense up. It's like an airbag. Just it, it boom, right? It inflates. Your muscles start to inflate and they tighten up. Once they relax, it takes five to seven days, and they relax and come down. The injury that's within that muscle that it's been protecting, that's when all of a sudden it surfaces. So who knows that if four days later he gets slammed to the ground like he did, bumps his head, that it re-triggers whatever took place. You just don't know. The fact that he was wobbling on his feet should have been concerned enough. And, you know, from the coach's part, all the way up the ladder to the medical staff, to the owner, to whomever that said, you know what? We need a complete neurological exam. We need, we need, we need MRIs. We need CAT scans, everything. The fact that he needed help, he wobbled, needed to be caught and then helped and held up four days later. Now, hey, you know what? If they were playing from Sunday to Sunday and they had a week off, maybe something different. I Maybe, but 
scary. It's very scary. It was very scary and then to see, you know, his, his hands flex up the way they tighten up the way that they did. It was, it was not good. It was a bad look all the way around, and everyone's angry, and they should be. Uh, this is one of those things where some good could come from tragedy moving forward. Second flag I'm throwing. I'm throwing the flag at anybody saying there isn't a quarterback controversy in Dallas with Cooper Rush now being 3-0. Now, look, I'm not saying that I think Cooper Rush is a better quarterback than Dak, but you can't deny how good the team is playing. They're playing good complimentary football, and the story of the backup quarterback taking the reins from the starter sounds oh so familiar in Dallas because remember when Dallas paid big money to get Drew Bledsoe and they drafted some kid out of Southern Illinois, and, uh, and then all of a sudden he ends, uh, Tony Romer ends up taking over the reins for Drew Bledsoe. Then Tony Romo has a good run, plays well, plays pretty good, pretty good to very good football, and then he gets injured. And then all of a sudden, some kid out of Mississippi State, Dak Prescott, comes in, and he starts taking over. And now we're starting to see another scenario that's looking very familiar to Dallas fans. So all I'm saying is, is I don't like – the guy's 3-0, and and basically everyone's just kind of pretending like he's not doing anything. He's doing his job. The team right. is playing very good. And the thing is, is just everybody was expecting Dak and Zeke to carry this team. Pollard's taking that job from Zeke. Okay, I'm not going to throw the flag on people saying there isn't a quarterback controversy just because Dak Prescott's the franchise, and when he comes back, the job is still his. Absolutely. But I will, I will assist in throwing the flag in what you're saying in terms of, yes, don't downplay and make it seem like Cooper Rush because here's the thing. If you're downplaying it, that means that before he did anything – you were downplaying going, the Cowboys are in trouble. They're going to lose. They're going to – if, if you're downplaying it now, that means that before he even started a game this season, you had already folded the you, – that was it. You, you were done with the Cowboys. It was over. They weren't going to compete. It, the season's, uh, you know, in trouble. So you were already downplaying him. So you cannot say that he's – you cannot downplay that he's not doing anything. You have to give the kid credit for what he's done and the competition this team has played. So, you know, and you're right. If if he continues to win the way that he's winning and the Cowboys – or the Cowboys continue to win the way that they're winning and he continues to be an efficient quarterback, you have to ask the question with Dak and hey, do we disrupt the chemistry? And if he comes back – you know, you also want to look at the schedule. They, you know, I think he's scheduled to come back like right when they play the Eagles. So that's also tough because here Cooper Rush is playing a bit of a lighter schedule, and now all of a sudden, uh, Dak Prescott comes in, gets whipped into the fire. So yeah, you have to you have to question that. Okay, um, Gooch and Willie, ESPN, Las Vegas, one hundred point nine, eleven hundred AM. Um, I can't wait for you to throw the flag on this next topic. This is great. All right, I'm throwing the flag at anyone who doesn't think Lamar Jackson isn't the best player in football heading into week four. He has been lights out. That collapse against the Dolphins wasn't necessarily his fault, okay? He still looked incredible throughout that game, if you remember. But it was how he responded this past week. He threw four touchdowns, ran over 100 yards, and even ran in another touchdown. And what has me so high on him this year? is he was always the guy who would attack the middle of the field. And, but he would never throw on the outside. He would never take advantage of his wide receivers. That is a completely different story this season. Devin Duvernay, Rashad Bateman are both threats. 
and he's never looked more dominant. He never used to throw to the outside hashes, and he's doing it. So to me, he looks even more dominant than his MVP campaign, and now he has to do it with his fourth string left tackle. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Lamar covers up so many blemishes. Ravens are playing the Bills tomorrow, and honestly, I can't wait to see Lamar duel Josh Allen. And to me, it, it, there's no question that Lamar Jackson is better than Josh Allen. He's he's. I, I said this prior to Week One. We we talked about it. I talked because I, I said. I, no, as a matter of fact, we talked about it during the preseason because it was one of my free picks that we give out. And I talked about how I felt he was the best athlete in the league last year, this year. He's always going to be an MVP candidate. He realistically, and it, and it started, you know, I always appreciated what he was able to do. But watching him in person last year on opening week, Monday night, you know what I mean? Ravens, Raiders, it was an unbelievable game. I mean, this dude to watch him was is incredible. So yeah, I mean, I'm I'm on board with this. Anybody who doesn't think that he's the best player overall, best yeah. athlete, I mean, that's what I'm saying. You were saying the best athlete. He's the best. Not only that, he's the best quarterback. It's like we've seen amazing athletes at quarterback, right. but they don't do anything. Right. So Lamar Jackson to have this on this jaw dropping athletic ability, and for him to still step up in the pocket, make those quick throws, recognize his blitzes before he. Where his big knock was, I'm Lamar Jackson. I'm the best athlete on the field. I'll just get out of it. Well, now he's trusting his teammates, and that's that to me is the big separation between excellent quarterbacks and very very good quarterbacks. Do you trust the NFL professional that you were throwing the ball to enough? And we're gonna throw the last flag. Throwing the last flag. <laughs> I'm throwing it at myself for oh, throwing boy. the flag at the AFC South last week. I threw it at the whole division. Because they had one win and one tie, but then I don't know what happened. Maybe they were listening, yeah, and and the Colts, yeah, and the Colts. You know, maybe Matt Ryan and company were like, uh, we're gonna prove this uh, Gooch moron wrong here." So they went out there and they beat the Chiefs. No one saw that. Tennessee over the Raiders. Okay, maybe a few people thought that. Jags, Jacksonville, the Jaguars destroyed the Chargers. I understand. Yeah, Bosa went down. I understand Herbert had hurt ribs, but 38-10. Right. And now the only AFC South team that did lose was Houston losing to the Bears. Terrible. My Houston Texans, whom I have a bet with uh, Cofield, we have three bets going right now, uh, uh, team against team for wins, and I have plus two and a half wins with the Raiders against the Chiefs. I'm in trouble. I have the Texans plus two and a half wins against the Jaguars. I'm still confident. And I have Kenny Pickett will start by week seven for the Steelers. So That's looking uh, great. I'm looking I'm, – I'm, I'm confident with the Texans in Pickett, so – um, yeah, that, uh, but yeah, the AFC South, you deserve a flag 100%. <laughs> right in the face. All right, so it's Gooch, it's Willie, it's Throw the Flag. We are live at Treasure Island, Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar on ESPN Las Vegas, 100.9 FM, 1100 AM. When we come back, we are going to be joined by former UNLV football player and NFL defensive back Eric Wright. We are going to talk about his alma mater, we are going to talk some NFL. That's back here on Throw the Flag from Treasure Island, Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar on ESPN. From the right hash mark, kicking from our right to our left, trying to put UNLV on the board from 41 yards. The snap, the kick, plenty of leg. The kick is on the way, and the kick is good. The Rebels are on the board. There's timeout on the field with 9 minutes and 15 seconds to go in the second quarter. The scoreboard shows New Mexico 17, UNLV 3. Now, back to throw the flag 
Well, you know what that theme song means. It means it's back to UNLV Rebels talk. Last night, you heard the call, Russ Langer, there right here on ESPN Las Vegas. Uh, that was the start of the comeback, Gooch. Seventh down, 17 nothing. They come back and win the game. Uh, and what a game it was, 31-20. And I know our next guest will appreciate that final pick six to push the total over, by the way, for some Vegas betters that enjoyed that. But the, the defensive back play, of course, the secondary, the defense tightened up. Joining us now on the show, former UNLV DB and NFL DB, Eric Wright. Eric, how are you? I'm well, I'm well. How's it going? How's it going, fellas? We're doing good. We're doing good. I, I, I noticed on Twitter at some point, and I quoted the tweet to remind everybody to tune in. You were tuned in. Uh, four and one. Your Rebels, you are very active when they're playing. I noticed last week um, when they were up in Logan. Um, let's just start there. What do, you, what do you think of this start with your alma mater? Man, I think it's great, man. I think uh, this is where we uh, we were hoping that we would be after a couple of years uh, of this thing rolling with Coach Arroyo. So um, it's good to see that to have a, a good start like that. Four-on-one is, is something that, that you have to uh, – you know, you got to come out fast when you're dealing with uh, playing these teams out of conference and different things like that and just trying to roll it into Mountain West play. So I'm, I'm eager to see what happens what happens next. But he started it off right. Now, this is a guy that came in right from the Pac-12, offensive mind. You started in the Pac-12. You were at USC, and then you come to UNLV. Um, do you see – I'm curious. Do you see this team – has it has it somewhat adopted a Pac-12 mentality this, especially this season with Doug Brumfield, Aiden Robbins? It's a balanced offense. The way that it moves, the way that it defends, does it remind you of a Pac-12 scheme? It, it does. I mean, I think uh, when you have an offense like this, um, you know, guys try to get the ball out quickly, try to run a lot of plays, um, and you're really looking to score a lot of points. Um, Defensively, I, I, I like how things are going on our end because uh, we have the guys outside to, to sort of lock it down. Obviously, we have to pick six at the end of the game, and uh, it puts you in a position to be able to score a lot of points and, and, and defend and to make sure that you're in the game, uh, you know, the whole way through. So you want to start off like we started off yesterday, but uh, the, the ship settled and we got it together. ESPN Radio 1100. Throw the flag with uh, Eric Wright, former UNLV DB. And, Eric, you're the third highest drafted player that has ever come out of UNLV. The only two that were drafted higher from you than, than you was Randall Cunningham and Icky Woods. Is there anybody on this Rebel squad that you think is going to be NFL worthy coming, here, coming up here in the future? Yeah, I think we got a few, we got a few guys. Obviously, Dougie B is doing his thing and. uh I like uh, how he's developing, and I, I think he has, a, you know, a super high ceiling. Um, you know, the corners on the outside, Ricky White is a guy that came over uh, as a transfer, and uh, I know what um, – I think he came from Michigan State, so I, I know the coaches out there, so I know he has a good foundation on, on uh, uh, you know, potentially making it to the next level just for the simple fact that uh, he kind of, you know, he kind of has that it factor. Um you know, so we have a few guys that's out there, and then, and that's the thing that we we were waiting to look for, uh, waiting and hoping to get to, to where we can get, you know, the, the athletic guys to sort of uh, make a splash out here in this Mountain West Conference. 
And Eric, you were drafted in 2007 out of the second round, and you played for four teams. You played for the Browns, Lions, Bucks, and 49ers. Now, the Browns and the Lions, who has the most dysfunctional franchise, you know, coming from your perspective? Uh, well, I mean, I spent four years with the Browns um, and only one year with Detroit, so I, I, I don't know if I can really speak directly to to um, you know who's who and what's what. But um, I think both franchises have been through a lot, and um, you know they're trying to work their way out of it. You know, it's interesting how they how they do that, but um, you know, hopefully they can get their foot in pretty soon. And uh, you know, the fans out there really really need uh Man, they need those teams to do well. So we're, we're hoping for the best. My man. Once again, I'm talking to Eric Wright, former UNLV uh, star and NFL DB on Throw the Flag with Gooch and Willie, ESPN Las Vegas, 100.9 and 1100 AM. So, Eric, i got to ask you, obviously, the talk the last 48 hours has been on Tua with what took place. You saw what happened last Sunday and on his wobbly feet, and then he comes back on a short week and plays, gets slammed to the ground. Scary sight. Um, let's start just with your thoughts on the entire situation. Like, do you personally feel like he should have been playing? You know, I don't, I don't think he should have been out there. I mean, especially with a quick turnaround like that, I think the, the safest bet and the smartest bet was to, to have him sit out. So the fact that he was out there four days later um, – you know, it's kind of unfortunate because you, the very thing that you're hoping doesn't happen actually happens. So, so let me let me ask you this real quick: um, Do you feel since you know since your your retirement, they've done a lot to protect the receiver and the quarterback, the offensive skill position players? But have they done enough? Is there more that can be done with what we're seeing right now? I think uh, what we have to realize is that we're playing football out here. Right. You know, we just have to be, be real about it. And, uh, you know, so the things that they have done, um, you know, it looks good and it helps. But at the end of the day, you know, a lot of things you can't, you can't really control out there. So I think uh, having concussion protocols and, and just being uh, more firm in uh, protecting guys also via, you know, the doctors and different and the trainers because the guys are always going to want to play. You know, if he feels like he can get up and, and go back out there, he's going to want to play. So, you know, some, sometimes you got to take the onus away from the player and, and have some people step in. And, I mean, it, it's, the system is set up that way. So it's just unfortunate when that doesn't happen. ESPN Radio 1100, uh, throw the flag live from the Treasure Island Sportsbook. And we're speaking with Eric Wright, former UNLV DB. And, Eric, have you ever had a concussion or have you ever been around someone who was recently concussed. Can you explain that just to the people out there who really have no idea? Yeah, I've had concussions and, um, you know, I have had times where, you know, the training staff and the doctors have taken my helmet and walked me on back to the, to, to the locker room to make sure I didn't go back in. And then I also had concussions where, um, you know, I kind of made it through the protocol and went back out there and was able to play. So, um, again, I think players are going to want to play if they feel like they have any sort of wherewithal. That's just the warrior mentality. That's just how guys are. But, I mean, you get a concussion and your head starts spinning, you start feeling like you're underwater a little bit um, initially. Sometimes guys go uh, 
have a have a moment of unconsciousness. Sometimes it's just uh, your bell being rung. It's, it's a lot of different ways it can happen, but um, that's the initial. So if a guy is able to stand back on, up on his feet, jog around a little bit, and uh, feel like he's uh, at all back to baseline, which he's not, but you know, if, if he feels good, he's gonna try to go. So I mean, it's. it's Concussion onsets can come on later in the day as well, too. So it's just a, a slippery slope when you're dealing with those head injuries. Once again, speaking with Eric Wright, former UNLV and NFL DB here on Throw the Flag, ESPN Las Vegas, 1100 AM, 100.9 FM. Eric, um, that being said, I have to ask you just like, when it comes to what you were just talking about, like, well, he's going to want to be out there, a warrior, you know. You're going to say, hey, put me in. I can go. Even if it's not that game, in, in Tua's situation, right, from uh, four days later, right. isn't it the responsibility, whether they want to play or not, to kind of just say, no, you're not going back in. You know, it's just not safe. I mean, where do you draw the fine line where the coach just shuts you down, pro athlete or not? Well, I mean, the original issue is that that hit four days of, uh, on Sunday – uh, last week was not um, classified as a concussion. It was, right. They classified it as a back injury. So throughout the rest of the week, you don't. If he's not going through proper concussion protocol because technically it's a back injury, then he's jumping over many hurdles in order to get the clearance to play by Thursday. So if that was considered a concussion, he would be he would be at home for for the beginning of the week. You have to pass a number of different tests in order to even be considered available uh, and potentially to play on that Thursday. So with, with that being considered a back injury, you know, he skips over all of that and and just says, hey, I'm ready to go, and hey, they, they let him go back out there. So that's a tricky part in this specific situation, but there's a number of different tests um, that you have to pass in order to to, to be clear to play for the next game or the game after that or the game after that. You have to, you have to pass a number of exams and tests. All right, let's switch gears here a little bit. So, uh, Eric, is there a DB in the NFL that you just love to watch? Oh, yeah. Mark, Marcus Lattimore. Okay, Marcus Lattimore, Ohio State. Jalen Rams. Or Marshawn, excuse me, Marshawn Lattimore. <laughs> That's amazing, yeah. And then... Uh, and is there a wide receiver right now you wish you could lock up? Devontae Adams. Okay. <laughs> All right. Nice. Nice. That's the one guy you'd like. If you could come back to play, that's the one guy you'd like to be lining up against these days, huh? Yeah, man. He's, he's the absolute best. I don't think it's even really close. There's really four phases of the route, um, and he's very, very, very good and the best at each phase. You know, he has all the release moves. He has the, the, the routes and the stems and the setting up. He has the top of the round, you know, change of direction, getting in and out of his breaks. And then, obviously, he can catch the ball over you or he can give you late hands. He, he, he has the whole package, man. I, 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 I would have liked to go against that guy. So when you came here, i got to ask you, so when you came here, right, and you come to Vegas, you're here at UNLV, you're playing out at Sam Boyd, which I'll always call the Silver Bowl. Um, could you ever imagine 
an NFL team would be here? I mean, what do you think of this town now? I mean, we're talking the world champion WNBA Aces, an NHL team in the Golden Knights, and now the Las Vegas Raiders. And I think, I think it's an amazing thing. I think the city has been waiting for uh, football to be there, honestly. Um, and I felt that when I was there back in was it, 06, you know, even that far back. So, um, you know, to bring, to bring a, a, a great big stadium like that, the best of the best, and, and, and uh, you know, these teams are starting to turn around, uh, it gives the city something to be excited about. Uh, Beyond just the gambling thing, I think it's really uh, football fans out there that, that, that appreciate the product. ESPN Radio 1100, we're speaking with Eric Wright, former UNLV DB. And do you think things would have been different if you were playing in, in this brand new Allegiant Stadium, if UNLV was playing in this stadium when you were playing? Do you think, do you think things would have been different? Different meaning our record. <laughs> yeah, like I'm just saying, like, do you think that this this beautiful stadium is going to help you and LV in the long run? You know, what well, I mean, it seems like. Oh, it. Let's yeah. not forget the football complex now. Yeah. Also. Well, well, yeah. Obviously, you know, you spend a lot of money on the complex, and that's you know prioritizing, you know, the the very situation that you're looking for to grow a a, a nice uh, football uh, football team. Um, then you get the pretty uniforms, you know, all the different options, and, and then you get to play in a great big stadium. So I think, um, you know, guys want to come to Vegas anyway. You know, so you're just kind of checking off the list, get a, get a good coach, change the culture, and then, you know, recruiting becomes a lot easier. So um, I think they've gone down the list and, and, and have eliminated some, some quote-unquote issues that have been in the past. I mean, they've played a lot of – energy and effort and invested a lot to, to turn this thing around. So I would have loved to play in this situation. It would, it would have been different. It would have felt better. Uh, but, you know, somebody has to, somebody has to lay the bricks. Well, we, we, we would have definitely loved to see you out here. I would have loved it, but I always appreciate uh, going back and forth with you on Twitter and communicating, and, and now we've hooked up, and we're definitely going to get you back on and, and possibly on our weekday show on Cofield and Company. Eric Wright. Former UNLV and NFL DB, thanks for joining us today on Throw the Flag. Appreciate you. Thanks for having me, guys. You got it. All right, once again, Eric Wright, great great spot by him. Um, and, you know, he touched on a lot of subjects, a lot of great stuff there. When we come back, we have our gambling segment, Free Picks, right here on Throw the Flag. Treasure Island, Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar, Gooch and Willie, ESPN Las Vegas, 100.9 FM. Before I ever ran a casino or got myself blown up, Ace Rothstein was a hell of a handicapper. I can tell you that. I was so good that whenever I bet, I could change the odds for every bookmaker in the country. I'm serious. I had it down so cold. Damn, Rothstein, pour some out for you. ESPN Radio 1100, throw the flag. Gooch, Willie Ramirez, live from the Golden Circle Sportsbook at the Treasure Island. And now it's time for the gambling segment. Willie Ramirez has a very respectable Six, one, and one. Gooch, on the other hand, talking about myself in the third person, four and four. Ah, it's been a – last couple of weeks have been a little rough, a little rough on the old ego. But, uh, Willie, who do you, do you – let me throw it to you first. Let me throw it to you first this time. It's always me who goes first. Let's go to you first. All right, so I'm going to take the Philadelphia Eagles. Okay. Minus the six and a half against 
the Jacksonville Jaguars, your Jacksonville Jaguars from the from your AFC South. <laughs> um, here's the thing. You mentioned some things about the Chargers, right? They were banged up as it was. Then you got lost the left going out. Yeah, lost the left tackle. And, and then Herbert's playing with injured ribs. They went out there and played the absolute, I mean, they were like, hey, let's give everything that we got. Let's go to SoFi. Let's go to L.A. Let's put it all on the line. Let's just let's just leave it all on the field. There's this guy in radio talking smack about us. We got to make it look stupid. Yeah, the whole thing, right? I, yeah, it was, it, was like, uh, it was like the coach in, in Titans. I want forever to remember the night they played the Jaguars. Well, you're firing they, me up. Then they went home, and now they got to fly up to Philly. And Philly is probably playing overall out of all teams, start to finish, three weeks. They're playing the best football of any team in the NFL. Okay? No matter what, the Jags are still on a 3-8 and eight ATS skid. Over the course of time, they've lost five of six on the road. Philly, they've covered four of their last five at home. I think they're for real. I think that we're seeing a gift of a six and a half because of the way Jacksonville played last week in L.A. Back-to-back road games. They're going to go up to Philly. They're going to get it reminded. They're going to get a little bit of a wake-up call. Trevor Lawrence is going to smacked around a little bit, and Philly's going to be able to move the ball. Jalen Hurts is playing out of his mind. My pick of the week, putting my six and six one and one record on the line here is the Philadelphia Eagles. And I, just to back up what you're saying, I do love No, I don't want you on my, get, get off my <laughs> get coattails. Off, get off. I'm throwing right. the flag at you. You are not allowed to. <laughs> no more. To, I, as soon I, as Willie picks yeah, a pick. Yeah, just, just picture just, the scene sh- from Bronx Hill. No, 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 no. I don't want Frankie coffee cup, or <laughs> coffee cake. The cooler. Right? I, I don't want you, I don't want you anywhere near my book. Put him, put him in the bathroom. All right. Put him I, in the bathroom. I'm not allowed to mention the word Eagles throughout the duration of the show. Too late. You just, too late. All right. Never mind. The E word. That's what we'll refer to it as. I am going to go with the Arizona Cardinals plus one over the Panthers because Kyler Murray isn't quite living up to the contract he signed in the offseason, and his receivers are dropping footballs, but he is completing 63% of his passes with three touchdowns through the air, one on the ground, and one pick. Baker Mayfield, on on the other hand, for Carolina, has also completed three touchdowns through the air, one on the ground, and he's also thrown one pick, but he's completing only 51% of his passes. Now, Carolina's defense, on the other hand, is better than Arizona's, but it's not enough to really make up for the bad quarterback play from Baker Mayfield and the Panthers. So I am going to go with the Arizona Cardinals in a pick over the Carolina Panthers. Uh, how's your fantasy team doing? My fantasy team, uh, I started off bad in the first week, but I've been three and one so far. So I'm in. A, I, I don't get in. I don't do fantasy. Right. I will never do fantasy. I, I think I've told you this. Like I'll, I'll give up money. I'll, I'll just like someone like, hey, I'm getting two and this. one. I mean, two and one. So I'll, I'll give up this. Like, hey, I, I'm in this big money pool. You don't have to do anything. I'm just looking for some partners. Thousand dollar entry. You know, throw in five hundred. Okay. And then at the end of the year, how much do I owe or how much you give? Like, there's only two people that I'll do that with, Adam Hill and the assistant sports editor at the RJ, Alan Liker. But I did get in a survivor pool. Okay. Now, this survivor pool started out with, uh, I want to say, 25. Uh, I can do the count real quick. Uh, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, 16, 18, 20, 22, 25. 
There's four left, and it's only week four. Okay. Me, Adam Hill, and a couple other local media guys. So, yeah, I'm, we'll see what happens. But right. I'm, I'm still alive, you know, for the, for the money. Keep staying alive. Survivor. Bro. Yeah, staying alive. Keep nice. fighting. Yeah, my team, uh, let's see here. Michael Carter kind of came in for me, and he's really su- uh, supplied some decent points. I did have to get Trevor Lawrence because, oh, I had Dak, had to drop him because he got injured, and now I'm stuck with Trevor Lawrence going up against your E-words. All right, when we come back, Arnie Stapleton from Denver is going to talk Broncos and Raiders. It's Willie Gooch, Treasure Island, Gold Trickle Sportsbook and Bar on ESPN Las Vegas. Now, back to Throw the Flag. Inside is behind the scenes, then came continuous. In trouble there, losing the rider was Captain Wizabar. Now, Stiros made a violent lurch to the right, bumped right into that horse, Captain Wizabar, which unseated the rider there, uh, Rosser Ryan. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> We're going to talk about that, and it's very fitting that we rejoin with the late Julio Gangst Paradise. It's Willie Ramirez and Gooch on ESPN Las Vegas, 1100 AM, 100.9 FM. Throw the flag live from Treasure Island Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar, and it's my turn to throw the flag. Um, so what, what you heard coming back there was a call from – a horse race in France. I don't know what it is about these throw the flag segments. The last two weeks, you've had a couple of stories from England. Yes. I mean, we got we got knuckles and bums. Yes. Now we have one of the world's best jockeys, Christophe Soumillon. Has he's been handed a two month ban because did, did, you heard the you heard the announcer say, well, the, the, a collision or a bump that the horses collide. No, 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 no. He was riding when he came up alongside Ross Ryan, and he elbows him and knocks him off the horse. They were traveling around. At, they put 56 kilometers. That's roughly like 35 miles an hour. Yeah. Knocked him from the horse. Ryan get, uh, Ross Ryan gets sent tumbling, and, I mean, this dude stuck his elbow in the other and jockey and knocks him from the horse. Yeah, like it's Mario Kart. <laughs> like, he just leans over. These two guys are, like, riding horses next, neck and neck, and then he just leans over and elbows the guy, and he falls off the horse. I'm not trying to laugh because, you know, I think the only reason why I'm kind of laughing is because the guy was okay. He was checked yeah, out. Everything's fine. Was, yeah. But when you watch the way this guy is tumbling, it's one of those tumbles where he is literally – there's one thing to tumble when you're curled up in a ball in the fetal position, but he is tumbling like totally vertical. Yeah, like, yes. like you'd expect the, the the reaction we saw with uh, Amazon's continuous replays of Tua the other night. You would expect that after effect with this jockey, how he landed. Oh man, it was nuts. Because the, the announcer eventually said he said the the Sky Sports commentator Jamie Lynch, he says. Oh, wow, Sumion put the elbow out there. Oh, dear me, I haven't seen that before. I don't think I've ever seen that before in a race. First well, off, yeah. when's the last time you heard somebody go, dear me? Yeah, dear me, <laughs> and calling, calling that's a horse you, race. That's when, you, that's when you really know you got a problem, was when somebody says, dear me. And I'm telling you, Tua's injury, that was, okay, this is last Sunday when, he's, when he hit his head on the field. That was one. 
This yeah. guy probably hit his head four times, tumbling on the ground. Yeah, it, it, it was wild. So uh, definitely going to have to throw the flag on that jockey. All right, Miles Garrett. Uh, his crash, he says, was definitely a wake-up call. Grateful to be alive, vows to slow down. Now, I am not throwing the flag. I'm, I'm grateful that he's, he's, he's okay. It was a very scary-looking ruptured blood vessel in his left eye. We've seen, you've seen people when they have a rupture. Um, but what, I, what, I may, what I'd like to throw the flag on is professional athletes, they go out and buy these cars, whatever, the, whatever it is that he was driving. You know, is there something fascinating about driving fast that you have to do it and put yourself in danger? I mean, can we just slow down? Well, the funny thing is, is one week. Well, it's not really funny. Okay. Well, the wild thing is, is one week prior to that, the Browns had a players-only meeting. And then after the meeting, they asked Miles. They were trying to get an idea of what was happening in the meeting. And he smiled coyly, and he said, oh, what were you guys talking about? And Miles' response was, fast girls, pretty cars. Well, he had a woman as his passenger in the car, and he's driving a Porsche that flipped over, I want to say, twice. And luckily, he only had a strained shoulder, strained bicep, and that was the only injuries, that, and maybe a few lacerations, but that was it. So, I mean, he was, he was going, they were saying he was probably going 100 miles an hour, and they said that a deer ran out, and he swerved to miss the deer, and that's how he went off the road. And these are Ohio roads, too, where it's not like Vegas roads where you go off the road and it's still flat. There's ditches that are involved in this it's it's there's the, the roads in ohio sometimes they're, they're almost raised up and the sides are, are they, they they dip right so it's like there's a lot of there's there's a lot of danger that well could possibly we brought up that. we brought up you know on during when we we're talking about the raiders we just brought up last year's distractions with you know henry ruggs r.i.p tina tintor um you know but later in the season nate hobbs right he 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 parked on the on the on the uh, parking garage or the the off ramp going down out of the Cromwell, and then like a week later, two weeks later, he picked up for speeding. I mean, I just uh, I mean for, and forget beyond um, beyond professional athletes. I mean, just I mean um, last night standing near the media parking lot um, with Adam Hill and Paul Gutierrez, we're sitting there um, sort of kibitzing before we. It went our way at 1 a.m. in the morning because it was a late start. They still have the 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 the, uh, the parking people or the 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 what do you call it the, the flag people oh, yeah, the yeah, flag yeah, yeah. people that, that get the crosswalk and then Metro sitting there right. So there's a couple of people in the middle of the street and this car comes flying down Polaris. I mean just I mean beyond you know speed limit. Um, and you hear the 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 female cop yell slow down you know didn't hit the brakes anything i mean talk about i mean putting yourself and putting other people in danger just slow down i mean i'm i'm reading all these stories it's always about uh, i read another story when i put this story in the rundown i was going and looking for stories and i saw something else i was like i'm not i'm just gonna stop adding it because it's frustrating these are just 26 year old men with millions well you know what i got news for you I know in Vegas, I don't know about other places, but we have a speedway. Did you know that, like, let's say you have a car that goes at, like, a, yeah. that can drive fast, and you want to, you want to, like, I want to see what this car can do. I want to see the kind of power behind it. Did you know that you can go out there and take your car on the track? Or I there, did there, not know that. Yes, yes. There you can schedule time. There's another, like, a side track where you can bring your own car. There you can drag your car. You know what I mean? If you, if you want to race another person. They actually have 
something where you can take your car out there, see if you have a fast car. What I think is insane is when I'm on the 15 and I see a guy on a motorcycle doing a wheelie. Have you seen that? No. They'll do, like, tricks. This guy oh, will yeah, pop yeah. a wheelie on the freeway. Yes, there was a guy the other day on the motorcycle who was riding the bumps, right, the, the, the lane separator. He was riding the bumps. As it, and there was no one to the left or in front of him, but and I'm coming up on the right, and he just keeps kind kind of swaying back and forth, like instead of being in the middle of the lane, like riding the shoulder, he's riding the bumps, and I'm like, dude, I'm driving normal. If I clip you, that's on you. Got and then as we were approaching more into the city, you know, past like Sahara, um, Spring Mountain, going down the 15, I'm watching him go in between cars on the motorcycle, and you know what? I don't want to see anybody get hurt, but the people that ride motorcycles that do that, y'all deserve. If you if you get clipped, don't start complaining. Going, you, you need to respect right. motorcycle riders. No, you need to respect the rules of the road. I don't care that you think that you can get in and out. And no, and I'm going to go back to what I was just saying about Miles Garrett and fast cars. They're in their 20s. These are young men, and every young man likes to push things to the limit. We've seen it happen with motorcycles. We've seen it. We're seeing it right now happening with Porsches. Guys, if you're young and you got a fast vehicle and you like to hit that gas, just think about your safety. But first off, think about everybody else around you. It's not just about you. All right. So I'm about to throw the flag, and I'm not going to name sports books here because we're you know we're not we're not going to start calling people out. But I will say this: found out that sports books issued refunds to those that bet on Tua after the scary injury. Um, I believe it was his prop bet. So they refunded all the straight bets, or if it was part of a parlay, it dropped it down to if it was part of a three-leg parlay or a two-leg, it dropped it down to the next level. Uh, I get it. I, I mean, I feel bad for the guy, but you know what? Betting's betting. Yeah. I mean, if it was a different kind of injury, if a, if a guy got knocked out because his finger got dislocated or his collarbone got popped, you're not refunding it because now you've opened the window for anything, I, it, yes, it was a scary injury, and, and whether you agree with the fact that he should have been out on the field, which we already discussed that we didn't, you don't refund bets because right. of an injury. It'd be one thing if the director of the sports book caused the injury, then fine. You know what? Maybe the sports, maybe the sports book would. It would make more sense for them to reissue the uh, the refund. But something like this, if that's the case, then I every fantasy player should get a pass when their starting quarterback tears their ACL, and then you got to go and get another one who's far less than the guy that you drafted. I mean, it's like, is that what's going to happen now? This is football. This is sports. These things happen, and you have to take them into consideration when you place a bet. Yeah, that's that. I saw that, and I was like, wow, really? Just because of, you know, the, the, the sort of the rally cry behind Tua after the injury and everything that went down, and now all of a sudden I'm reading that refunds are, yeah. I mean, gosh, I'm going to be I'm gonna be looking for reasons to get refunds for everything. That's what I'm saying, and it's like, and these guys doing this, it's like, what's going to happen the next time this injury happens, or the next time an injury similar to this plays out? Are you guys going to be the refund sports book? Is that what you're known as? Well, flags are all over the place this morning. We had a, we had a, you had a pocket full, I had a pocket full. Um, you know, we, we opened the show talking about 1 October. The Golden Knights have done a fantastic job every single year. They were already out in the community all morning. When we come back, ringside reporter Ashley Weiss is going to join us. She was on the scene for some of this community outreach this morning. They went to area commands. They went to firefight stations. They went to blood donation centers. So Ashley has been here for a couple of years now. We're going to talk to her about the impact she remembers while she was elsewhere covering the NHL and then how she's seen it here and talk a little Golden Knights with the upcoming season. It's Gooch. It's Willie. We are at Treasure Island. 
Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar here on ESPN Las Vegas, 1100 AM, 100.9 FM. People are always come up and say, you know, how thankful and, you know, what, what we do for this community. And, I mean, at, at the end of the day, we're, we're just here playing hockey. You know, we're, we're proud to be a part of it. You know, anything we can do in the community, you know, it's what we want to do. We take pride in that. Um, it's just, it's an honor, you know, to be a part of this community with everyone and, you know, kind of growing together. Now, back to Throw the Flag. You know you That was the sounds of Shay Theodore yesterday, just talking about reflecting on on uh, one October and being a part of this community. You know, he was a part of the original Golden Misfits, um, and of course the SOS brand bringing us back. Gooch Willie, throw the flag right here at Treasure Island Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar on ESPN Las Vegas, 1100 AM, 100.9 FM, and joining us now. Always love talking to my buddy, Ashley Vice, rinkside reporter. Ashley, how are you? I'm doing good, guys. Thanks for having me. So, Ash, I gotta, let's just start. Uh, you just got done with some obligations and commitments for the community. I believe the 1 October Memorial Blood Drive, the Metro South Central Area Command, Clark County Fire Department Station 11, a different area command, I believe the Bolden area, and then the 911 Dispatch Center. I'm not sure if you were involved in all of them, if you, if, the, if everyone was broken up, but tell us about this morning and just, you know, the, gosh, the I guess the emotions that are involved in something like that. Yeah, so they did break the guys up into a few groups. Um, everyone started out at City National Arena, which is where the blood drive is, but they also unveiled a new police cruiser that's uh, Vegas Golden Knights themed more or less that has a really cool quote from Bill Foley on the side. One of his mottos is protect the unprotected. So that's on the police cruiser, which is a really cool special touch. Um, But then I went to the South Central Area Command uh, group of players was there as well. Shane Knighty, Darren Millard were with me as well. Um, And of course, the players are the ones that everyone is so excited to see, but they did make the two other stops as well. Um, You know, and it's just such an important day to reflect you know I've only been here one year but it was so obvious right from the very beginning uh, not only what the team means to the city but what the city means to the team Um, you know guys could not be more thankful to to be included you know they were there having conversations with officers about what it was like on one October you know this day five years ago uh, the station that I was at was kind of the dispatch hub when all of that was happening on the strip um, so just, you know, to see everyone coming together meant a lot. Uh, I think this team really recognizes more than I think some other, you know, organizations just how important this community is. It's uh, one of the most incredible stories in sports, the way this community rallied around this team uh, in a time that the community needed it most. Uh, so I was really thankful uh, to be part of it, and I think the guys are actually still going. I think they'll still be visiting people for about a, another 30 minutes before they head out of town for their yearly uh, team bonding trip in Montana. But definitely special, and I was lucky to be part of it. Ashley, let me now. Were you at the time, not the exact moment, but were you in St. Yeah. Louis uh, with the Blues, or were you? Where were you at? at you know, in October 2017. Yeah, so I was in St. Louis. Uh, obviously, it was. Two hours later at that point right so I think I was in bed at that time um I don't know what time was it 10 30 there maybe something around somewhere yes. around then yes. 10 30 and midnight um and I mean I remember it vividly I actually did have friends who were visiting Vegas at the time 
uh, who were not at the festival. But, you know, that was kind of the first instant when when we heard about it, that it was okay, go check on them. And then as the weeks followed, I remember sitting on the couch. I did work for the Blues at the time, um, but we did not have a game the night of the home opener for the Golden Knights. And I remember watching and just being so touched and thinking, you know, there's, there's nothing like sports. It's, it's one of the best parts working of working in sports is the way it brings people together and you know, until you witness it firsthand and until you're in an arena and you talk to people and you realize how sports are such an escape for people in those times, um, it's just so important. There's nothing like it. There's nothing that any of us will be able to do. There's nothing the team will ever be able to do to make up for the lives lost and the pain and the, and the trauma and the tragedy. Um, but so important just to do everything they can. But, yes, I was in St. Louis. Uh, remember it vividly and I'm really lucky that this community has welcomed me the way that they have and that they allow me to be part of things like this even though I wasn't here at the time and that was such a magical year for the Golden Knights but for the visiting team who always heard about the Vegas flu but nevertheless everybody that visited at that point every team and and, and their broadcast teams or radio teams and ringside reporters if you will they sort of got a, a feel of the emotions were you when St. Louis made, when the Blues made their first trip to Las Vegas in 2017-18 season, were you with them? And if you were, what do you remember about that visit? I was, for sure. And I think what, what stands out and that I think is important for Vegas fans to know is this isn't just like an overhyped story that we hear around Vegas. Like, this team absolutely was, and in a lot of ways still is, the talk of the National Hockey League. Um, the storybook run. I mean, of course, uh, you're working for another team. You're thinking that it's all go- it's going to end eventually, right? Like, oh, it's a hot start, or surely they don't keep it going, whatever. But uh, the atmosphere, the buy-in from the fans, uh, it was it wasn't overhyped. I think that's what stands out the most. Um, also, just every visiting team, the players would say we want to be like Vegas. I remember I was actually on the in-game production team for the St. Louis Blues, so a lot of our job was putting on shows like the pregame show that we see here in Vegas, and players would always come up, how do we get an atmosphere like Vegas has? And uh, I think a lot of it is, uh, you know, the incredible front office and the incredible video production team, but a lot of it is the fans. It's hard to replicate that passion, right? Uh, And it was here for this team from day one. It's seriously so so special and i just can't emphasize enough that uh that's not just known here in vegas that is known all around the national hockey league and honestly i could honestly take it beyond that and say it's known in the sports world in general espn radio 1100 100.9 fm throw the flag right here at the golden circle sportsbook at the treasure island we have ashley vice on the telephone to talk vegas golden Knights. so i love how we reflected about October 1st. Again, the tragedy can't be forgotten, but again, I also don't want to forget all the positive, all the positivity that did come from that, so thank you for reminding us on that, Ashley, but let's just jump on to hockey now. Let's, let's take it on to a little bit lighter approach. Uh, what do you think of the Knights after the first four preseason games? You know, I think things are starting to come together. I know last night was probably a little bit scary for some people just because it was pretty sloppy. Um, I'll use the phrase, you know, it's just preseason. I, I do get accused of being too positive at times. Uh, but, you know, 
it seems like the systems are starting to come together. I think that once they have the systems down in game speed and guys like Mark Stone and Alec Martinez are able to play more games, right? Like last night was their first preseason game, and those are two very important members of the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, I think that the system is actually simple once you get it down, if that makes sense. Uh, yep. You have to get used to it, but then once you get it down, um, especially in the defensive zone, uh, you're just able to cover more ground without exerting as much energy, if that makes sense. So I think things are coming together from that standpoint. I really like the look of the top line, uh, Phil Kessel, Jack Eichel, and Riley Smith. I think that's something to be excited about, um, especially because goal production has been something at times that, you know, the Golden Knights have hit their dry spell. So I think things look good from that perspective. Uh, and I honestly think that this weekend the team leads for their team bonding trip in Montana that they do every single year. Um, just with some of the new faces, with the, with the goaltending question marks, things like that, I think it's going to be a really important and I think it's going to be really good for this team. Bruce Cassidy had already noticed how close the locker room was and how people were always talking. He made jokes to me about how Jonathan Marshall, you know, is usually the one speaking up and saying stuff and making jokes, whatever. Yeah. Um, but this weekend's just going to take them even further. And, you know, they do feel like they have something to prove. So I think the chance for all of them to get together, bond, play for each other, kind of maybe like what we saw that first season, although it can't be replicated, I think it'll be good for them. Speaking of Bruce Cassidy, um, I'm curious, just your thoughts on, like, for instance, just a few press conferences we've had with him, not the introductory, but uh, just during, you know, training camp already, like the other day, or it was yesterday, I think, right, after morning skate, um, someone asked him if Mark Stone, we saw him out there on the ice, is he going to play? And he just looked up, he goes, yep, he's playing, he's in, he's in tonight. Yep. Someone asked if Aiden Hill was goalie, yep, he's in. Very different than we've had in the years past. I love the upfrontness, if you will, of of uh, of Bruce Cassidy. I love his delivery. I love his, uh, you know, he's he's not too high, he's not too low. Um, your thoughts on him, just in general as a coach, and how he fits in with everything—not the players, not just the players, not the lot, but everything—the media, uh, his persona, and what he, do, how he delivers his message. You know, what stands out to me is that I leave every conversation with Bruce Cassidy, whether it's a one-on-one conversation, whether it's in a room full of other media, whether it's overhearing him, whatever it may be, I feel like I walk away from that conversation knowing more about hockey. And I think that is the most intriguing thing about him. Um, You know, you hear things about systems, you hear things about this, about that, uh, but he breaks it down and puts everything so simply and he has a way of teaching everyone around him about the game. And like you said, he, so far he has been super open. We'll see how that changes as the season goes on, if it does. Uh, but regardless, I think that um, his hockey mind is very evident just in talking to him. And you can only imagine if that comes off to us, I can only imagine how well that comes off to the team. He seems super prepared, like he knows what he wants to do. He is up front. He is going to hold guys accountable, right? When he was asked about Mark Stone yesterday, he said his first response was, you could tell his timing was off. Same with Alex Martinez. But then he went on to say, you know, it's their first game. They're going to get it back, all of these things. So he's a guy that's going to hold people accountable. I think the players respect that. I know that the players respect um, his history and his resume in Boston. They were such a hard team to play against for so long. And Jonathan Marchessault so said to me on media day when I asked how he felt the team was going to buy in, he said, I hope we buy in because whatever we've been doing, it's not working. So 
Uh, I think that there's a lot of respect for him. Uh, and like you said, I think the media is really, you know, respecting him as well. It's impossible to leave a conversation with him without feeling smarter. ESPN Radio 1100, 100.9 FM. We're speaking with Ashley Vice, getting us all geared up for this upcoming Vegas Golden Knights season. And Ashley, I just wanted to get your thoughts on any pressure felt by any particular Golden Knight. Any pressure on any particular Golden Knight? Good question. Um, you know, I, I think that different players have chips on their shoulder this season for different reasons. Um, I think Jack Eichel is always going to carry that pressure. Um, he's a guy who um, I don't think he listens too much to the outside noise, but it's definitely, you know, there's this outside narrative surrounding him, and I'm sure he wants to prove people wrong. Um, Bill Kessel has pretty much admitted that, you know, he felt kind of forgotten in Arizona. Um, and, you know, he's not just a veteran player that's been around forever that brings experience. He has skill, right? So um, he wants to show that, you know, he's not just going for this Ironman streak. He's, you know, going for it, and he is someone who can be effective and on a winning team, which is super important as well. Um, you know, it's impossible to not feel pressure if you're one of the goaltenders right now, I would, I would think. Uh, but there's always pressure on goalies, right? Uh, we make a lot out of the current goalie competition. But really, if you're a veteran goalie who is proven in the league and you get hurt and a young guy comes in and starts playing well, they might ride that young guy, you know, until he falls off. So I don't think that that is as unique of a situation as maybe us as media members like to make it out to be. Um, but I guess, you know, between Jack, Phil, and the, and the goaltending situation in general, I would imagine there's a little bit of extra pressure on those guys. Um, but, you know, I think that they'll handle it well. So with that, I got, I got one more for you, Ash. And, and before yeah. we let you go, we got one minute. Um, speaking of the goalies, I have, conti- I have been very adamant about Logan Thompson, and I have compared it to, to a degree. You were there for this. You watched it up front. You watched the St. Louis Blues in dead last of the league put a rookie yeah. goaltender in, in Jordan Bennington, and he helped lead the Blues to a Stanley Cup championship. Is Logan Thompson ready to hoist that pressure on his shoulders and carry this team based on what you saw at the end of last season? I definitely think it's something that he can handle. I do. Um, I I don't think that it's a matter of the coaching staff not believing in him either. Bruce Cassidy came into this season saying that he fully recognizes, you know, how well Logan played at the end of the year last year. And so he has earned, you know, earned an opportunity. Um, But there's always going to be competition among goalies. I do find the uh, Bennington-Thompson comparison intriguing only because, Knowing both of them, I do see some similarities in their personality. They both have that swagger. Uh, they both like to play with a chip on their shoulder. And they both, you, you almost think of them as young, but they're really not in terms of hockey. You know, I think Bennington was 25 um, when he won. And Thompson, I think, is 25 or 26 now as well, which is young, but it's not like a 21 or 22-year-old goaltender just coming into the system, you know. So yeah. they both had to work their way up the ranks. Uh, so I definitely see those comparisons. I definitely think that Logan can handle the pressure for sure, but no matter who is your starting goaltender, it's always important uh, to have two goalies. You have to have two goalies to make it far, not only in the National Hockey League regular season, but especially come postseason. 
Well, Ashley, we appreciate it. I always enjoy having you on, whether it's here now or when you're on with us at Golden uh, with Cofield and Company, and we're definitely going to ask you back later on this season. Ashley Vice, ringside reporter, make sure you're watching her this season throughout. Ashley, thank you for coming on today. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. All right, when we come back, we're going to finish things off with the final flag. It's Gooch, it's Willie. I got Lindsay in the box. We got Mateo to the left. We're at Treasure Island, Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. Throw the flag, ESPN Las Vegas, 100.9 FM. The final flag. I wasn't at Route 91 when the sounds of joy were silenced by the gun. As the shots rained down and the people fled, over 800 injured and 58 dead. In the midst of the firestone of chaos and fear from that hell on earth, heroes appeared. First responders sprang into action, as first responders do, but then heroes appeared from out of the blue. Taxis and Ubers and bus drivers sped down to the venue, now colored blood red. And inside the venue, as bodies fell to the ground, strangers helped strangers with bullets flying all around. Then his SWAT closed on in and they took command. The cowardly gunman fell by his own hand. In the darkest of times when all hope seems lost, people rise to their best no matter the cost. Vegas was injured on October 1 by the cowardly psycho with multiple guns. I don't care about his reasons. I'm glad he's not in a cell. I hope he resides in the worst part of hell. He thought he'd kill Vegas, but he was so wrong. For Vegas is one, and Vegas is strong. God, it's emotion. Bringing us back. Throw the flag, Gooch and Willie. Throw, uh, rely from Treasure Island Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. That was the sounds of our late, great, and beloved ballpark Frank, Frank Carnish. He had wrote that poem. And Clay Baker uh, sent it out to a number of us the other day, and I was like, we're using it. You know, um, he wrote that. He, Frank Carnish was uh, just a sub, such a beloved uh, personality around town, and uh, he was into tennis, and he was into poetry, among other things, Racket and ball. hockey, sport. Yeah, he loved it. Racket so uh, he, he, had, he, had, he had read that on the air, so um, I wanted to get that on there. And at this time, I, I want to bring in – our producer, but also she's 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 becoming quickly becoming a, a personality throughout the airwaves, and she's been on the press box a few times. She's joined us on Copeland Company. Um, Lindsay, you are a uh, you you played hockey. You come from the hockey state of Minnesota. Yeah, you, you're a goalie. Um, your thoughts, just what you remember about one October and how you saw a hockey team somewhat heal a city in the desert that never would have dreamed of having a hockey team here. Yeah, I, I remember walking into my job at the time, which is a, like a hockey training company that morning. And I, I had been up and I'd saw the news and I was just, you know, shootings have become such a, a common place in our society. But obviously this one was so different. And I wasn't one of the people that was a naysayer of the Golden Knights and hockey not working in the desert. But I was just kind of like, let's wait and see. Let's see what this actually turns into. And there's this really unique spirituality about hockey that I feel that other sports, I mean, baseball kind of dabbles in it as well, but I think there's so much that is out of your control that you have to kind of give that up to it. You kind of have to accept that sometimes things aren't going to go your way, even if the you do everything right, that the puck's going to bounce something. And I, I think with that, that's what really fused with this obviously tragic event and, and something that will forever be impacted on this community. And when I saw... Derek Englund's speech when I saw the the success that the Knights were able to achieve so early I mean I was looking into moving down here during season two and I I just I'd never seen uh, a city take to a team like that and 
as the last few years have kind of gone on, I mean, the Minnesota community itself has gone through its own tragedies and, and had had to lean on sports in similar ways with the like Minnesota Timberwolves after the George Floyd stuff. And it's just, it's so important. And, and it's something that I don't really think that we can fully articulate or describe. It's just something that you feel and, and that you know that there's this heaviness, but you guys have done a great job of highlighting all of the the great things that have come out of it, the sense of community, the sense of belonging. I think that's something that is so lacking in our society today as we're all just so individualized and traumatized that these gathering moments, as awful as they are, as painful as they are, that's, that's what humanity is all about. Well, Lydia, you, I think you wrapped it up great for us today, and I really appreciate you. And you know, and you and I have, have been friends since you got here, and I've always appreciated our friendship because you and I have had some deep conversations about mental health um, and mental health awareness. And we just finished up Suicide Prevention Month for September, and it's so important. So, if you have been affected by Route, Route 91, the tragedy, or anything, and, and you're dealing with mental health issues, please talk to somebody. Um, you know, there, there's somebody out there that's depending on your presence in their lives. Um, and I'm just going to leave it at that because, you know what, it's okay to not be okay. Everybody matters. Gooch, Willie, throw the flag, Treasure Island, Golden Circle Sports Breaking Bar. We'll see you next week right here on ESPN Las Vegas.